2: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Tom Leiden, who is the editor of ETFTrends.com, our president of Global Trends Investments, and the author of a new book called The ETF Trend Following Playbook. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thanks, Jordan. Appreciate it. Let's just start with the very bit basics here. Uh,
3: what is an ETF, an exchange traded fund? An ETF is basically a mutual fund uh, that trades like a stock. You know, mutual funds price at the end of the day. ETFs are a basket or an index that uh, is a diversified group of stocks that represents vir- virtually all asset classes anything from small cap domestic to large cap value to gold to uh, other commodities to healthcare to countries such as Australia Indonesia there's a whole variety of different ETFs that are out there and now through the ease of investing I think the average investor has that many more investment options to hopefully boost their portfolios. And how big have ETFs gotten these days? There are over 650 ETFs here in the U.S., representing close to $800 billion. And although that sounds like a huge amount of money, still mutual funds in general are over $10 trillion in size. So we're just really cracking the surface.
2: Now, in the beginning of your uh, book, which again is called the ETF Trend Following Playbook, you say rest in peace for buy and hold. Why is that true?
3: Well, many of us have been through this last 10 years, which has been very difficult. Uh, we know that we've had some of, two of the worst bear markets that we've seen in decades. And people are frankly frustrated with their portfolios. And they're frustrated with mutual funds in general, where 8 out of 10 of the a- average active managers are underperforming their benchmarks, and the average management fee is over 1.5%. What investors have today in ETFs is rather than betting on uh, a fund manager that might be able to meet the market, beat the market, why not just buy the market? And you can do that a lot less expensively in ETFs, where the average fees, especially for domestic equity funds, are 20 basis points you know, one-seventh of what a mutual fund might be.
2: It doesn't sound like much difference, 1.2% versus 0.2%, but over the longer term, what uh, kind of difference in returns would those kind of fees uh, make?
3: Well, huge. If you have just a a 1% change over the lifetime in your 401k, you can imagine how huge that is. And although ETFs aren't available in 401ks yet, I think that's something that's going to be coming down the pike. So we're looking forward to that. I think you're going to continue to see more assets shift to ETFs and we saw that last year even in the down market where there was 350 billion that came out of mutual funds 178 billion went into ETFs while the market was declining so that that's good news i think you know again as you know and you're a big proponent for the average investor you want transparency you want to know what you're buying you want to buy it at a fair price and, and you want liquidity. You don't want to be able to be, have to be tied up into something for an extended period of time. And most importantly, you want choice, and ETFs bring that to the table.
2: What are some of the advantages? We've talked about the cost advantage, but what are some of the other advantages of ETFs versus mutual funds?
3: Well, diversification is important, and, and many of these ETFs represent an underlying index. And some of these indexes have been... Manufactured in the last five years, but some have been around for a long period of time. So you know exactly what you're buying. You know that you're diversified not in just a handful of stocks, but in many cases a wide variety of stocks. On top of that, there's very low turnover, so there's tax advantages with little or no urine distributions. You know, you, you saw the headlines and the horror stories of after many investors riding the bear market down last year, at the end they were met with a holiday gift of a huge year end distribution. So that that's traumatic for many. And then finally, there's another tax advantage in the fact that the the way they create and redeem shares of ETFs is even though more and more money's coming in and more and more people are buying, you're gonna you're rarely gonna see a year in capital gains distribution the way mutual funds do. So there there are a variety of uh, advantages to mutual funds. And I guess today, going forward, in order to invest in an actively managed manager or mutual fund, you've got to have someone who's got a great track record and really has a proven strategy. And there are very, very few that have been able to uh, show their worth through the last 10 years.
2: Most ETFs are passive-managed, right? They're basically whatever is an index, you keep in the index. But is it true that there are now some ETFs that are becoming more actively managed?
3: There are. Uh, some of the active managers are seeing uh, how much money's flowing into ETFs, and they're saying, geez, if I can bring my active management style to an, an ETF complex or product, maybe we can have money flowing in our direction as well. And, and more and more bigger names I think you're going to see uh, go into this area. Uh, one in particular is uh, PIMCO, the bond manager. You've got Bill Gross and his team there. I, they've done a great job in actively managing uh, bond mutual funds, and I think they're, they're going to be bringing that to the ETF stage as well. Um, so would you recommend that?
2: Would you think that would be a good way? If you have a choice of the same manager, uh, active manager, as a mutual fund or an ETF, would you pick the ETF?
3: I would, but one thing you have to remind remind yourself, that track record doesn't always come over. If a fund manager did a great job for 15 or 20 years, he may be bringing the same style and the same knowledge, but on day one when that ETF starts, there's a a brand new starting point. So I think what's going to happen is, over the long term, actively managed ETFs are going to be popular, but the average investor and the average financial advisor that uses these actively managed ETFs are going to wait for some type of track record before they move money in.
2: I guess one of the other advantages of ETFs over um, particularly closed-end mutual funds is that they're always trading at net asset value. That's correct. Um, But uh, also with a a regular mutual fund, an open-end fund, you have big cash flows in and out, which affects uh, the uh, fund managers having to buy you know, uh, and sell at the wrong time, basically. He's got to manage that cash flow. That's not as much of a problem for an ETF, is that correct?
3: It isn't. Uh, in many cases, the, the underlying shares of uh, uh, of the stocks in the, in the ETFs are fairly liquid. However, uh, ETFs in general went down last year. Their net asset values went down with the market they, because they do, in fact, represent the market. So if there's a, a, a wave of selling, They get caught up with it on the downside just like everybody else. Uh, However, I think your point is just because an ETF um, is declining because the general markets are declining, it's not going to be exacerbated any more or any less than an actively managed ETF.
2: But an actively managed could be exacerbated because, say, it goes down, the market's down a lot, and he gets a lot of redemptions. He then has to sell stocks to meet those redemptions at low prices, Um,
3: especially in illiquid areas if they happen to be in uh, small cap stocks or or, or, uh, sectors that tend to be uh, not traded as less, absolutely.
2: And the Uh, same, the opposite direction, if prices are going up and there's a lot of great performance and he has tons of money coming in, he has to buy shares at high prices because it kind of distorts on the upside and downside what an active manager has to do with an open-end fund which, which I think is not really affecting ETFs. Is that correct?
3: That's right. Uh, but but again, um, to some degree, and in, in all fairness, you've got some uh, thin liquidity areas within ETFs. You know, for example, there are some ETFs that represent single countries, and although we've got m- much more technology, uh, better accounting standards overseas now, uh, better trading systems, you've got in some countries a handful of stocks will, that will represent the lion's share of the capitalization of that ETF. So you, you have to be careful. Uh, ETFs uh, across the board aren't best for everybody. Just like you're as you're investing in stocks and mutual funds, you've got to look under the hood. You've got to see what they represent. And with this huge move that we've seen off of the March lows, there are some areas in the market that have really performed well, and they're attracting a lot of money in the ETF area. So it's important to do your research.
2: Now, as I understand it, in some cases, the ETF has become so large that, in itself, it's affecting the market that it's trying to track. One that comes to mind is gold. Uh, The GLD is, I don't know how many millions of ounces they own, but a lot. A lot of billions of dollars have gone to that. People are saying is actually starting to skew the gold market itself because of the huge need for this etf to buy gold is that in fact true that etfs are starting to distort the markets they're tracking
3: well it's a great debate but i would agree with you i think absolutely that's the case and you could pretty much say that for a lot of uh, the commodities areas because again five years ago for the average investor to invest in commodities they bought uh the gold bars themselves or coins or or silver uh if you wanted to get into agriculture, you weren't going to go out and buy uh, barley or soy. Uh, you might buy a, a agricultural company. But today, we've got the ability through ETFs to get into all these different commodities areas. And yes, in fact, uh, with billions of dollars flowing into commodities and the, the threat of inflation and the lower dollar, it's made sense. But has it, in fact, boosted the prices? I'd say to a degree it has.
2: So is that something to watch out for, that you're kind of part of this big wave that is distorting the markets and you're part of it when you invest in these things?
3: Well, I think today, and, and especially going forward, commodities is an asset class that makes sense for investors. But uh, we also are big proponents of not putting something in your portfolio and owning it forever. Uh, we, the, the whole premise of e, the ETF trend following playbook is all asset classes tend to operate on, on their own trends and a great and easy way to identify the general trend is the 200-day moving average. So we talk about that throughout the book and the fact that any ETF or any index you can put on a 200-day moving average, and what we recommend is only buy those areas that are above their 200-day average or their trend line and use that trend line as the sell point as well. So if it happens to go below the trend line, what you're going to do is then protect yourself from the downside. So right now, as we talk about commodities, there's been a wonderful trend that we've seen so far this year, but still uh, there may be some potential for it to go much higher.
2: Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Tom Lydon, who's the editor of ETFtrends.com. He's got a new book out called The ETF Trend Following Playbook. We'll be back after this.
1: both their products and services are invited to become members of the money answers network the public can sign up for membership in the money answers network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources to learn more visit www.moneyanswers.com get ahead with money answers
4: are you ready to go green you've asked and we've heard you voice america presents the green talk network
0: of the fraud by roidhead hear more at don't be an brought to you by ad council and the u.s olympic committee from
4: the boardroom to you voice america business network
1: you've been listening to the money answer show with jordan goodman if you have a question for jordan or his guest please call us now at 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 now back to jordan
2: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Tom Lyden, uh, who is the editor of ETFtrends.com and a new book called The ETF Trend Following Playbook, uh, published by FT Press. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Thanks, Jordan. Now, you t- say in the beginning that trends are your best friend when it comes to ETFs. What you, you mentioned the 200-day moving average, but what are some other ways that you talk about in the book to uh, identify trends that are going to be favorable for you?
3: Well, I think the key is is to look at different asset classes and how they've done over time. You know, a, a great example is Japan in the 1980s, and it was, they had a huge run. There were a couple years where the Japanese market was up 100% year after year, and it wasn't until after it already had its move that all these Japanese mutual funds came out, available here in the U.S., and most people bought in at the absolute high and they didn't have a sell strategy. So, whether it's a 200 day moving average or even using a 50 day moving average, the whole idea is if you use that simple trend following technique, what it'll do is to help you identify those areas of the market or those asset classes that are trending upward. And at one point in time, it's very easy to see when things start to head south. And when they cross back below their trend line, that's a great use of an exit strategy so you don't give back 20 30 40% or more
2: you talk about uh what you call the investor psychology cycle why don't you just briefly take us through the uh the cycle of uh, ups and downs and and how you should use that to invest in ETFs
3: well you know it's key i think in a nutshell uh rather than go through all the definitions it's important to understand that fear uh it always starts early right now i think we're seeing that We've gone through a very tough period of time with, you know, two bear markets that we've seen in the last 10 years. And now, because we've seen a little bit of a uptrend here uh, off of those lows, we're now in a situation where people are starting to get concerned about, am I missing out? Because, in fact, we know through the fund flows that we track in mutual funds, there was a lot more money that was coming out towards the bottom than that was going in and, and money that was going in back at the top a couple years ago. So now we're in a situation where there's $4 trillion that are on the sidelines and people are fearful that in fact they're missing out. Well, what will happen, and you know this from watching markets yourself, inevitably when this market comes toward the top, it's going to be the time when everybody is feeling total confidence in the market, everybody's talking about it. People are talking about stocks on the golf course or cocktail parties, and, and people are eating their chests about how great they're doing in the market. That's, as you know, usually a sign when things have topped out. So emotions play a big role in it, and it usually, during times like now when people are nervous or skeptical, is a good time to invest.
2: So where do we stand right now on the cycle? Uh... Which, as you say, start, starts with contempt, uh, then goes to doubt and suspicion and caution, confidence, enthusiasm. And the peak being greed and conviction. Where do right. we stand? I, now? I
3: think we're right now in the in the conf, in the confidence and enthusiasm area. Right now, we're starting to people. Are, it, it just passed over that investor psychology had moved from being under 50 percent to over 50 percent just in the last 30 days. So that's kind of a key and pivotal point. Uh, you know, the, the, Obviously, the best time to invest, but most people won't do it because they don't have the confidence, is when those numbers are much lower. Uh, when we have enthusiasm, that's usually the, the time to start thinking about when am I going to pull the ripcord, when is my exit strategy going to kick in, and using the 200-day average will help you out in that regard. And again, the, the reason we talk about a 200-day average is it's not it's not that we own it it's been around for decades you can find it available on any charting service if you go on to uh, you know Yahoo Finance or Google Finance you just hit the 200-day average button and there it is and it's all for free so it's very easy for the average investor to track this on their own but if you go in your portfolio and check every week or every two weeks to make sure that those areas of your portfolio are above the 200-day average, you sh- should be in good shape. You're not going to go through one of those long bear markets.
2: If you're above the 200-day moving, day moving average, you've already seen some gains. I mean, it's already up. You're not getting it kind of at the bottom before it's turned. So you, is, is that the idea is that you're giving up some potential gains uh, for the surety that it's going to keep going?
3: That's it. The idea is you're not going to buy at the bottom and you're not going to sell at the top. But if you can get 60 70 75% of the middle of that market move, then most people are very, very happy. The idea is it also takes out some of that volatility. So uh, again, it's very easy to see how this works. If you just pull up a chart of the S&P and you throw a 200-day average on it, you would have gotten out in uh, late 2007 you might have been in and out, and this is what we call whipsaw, where you buy in and you have to sell out quickly and at one point in time in 2008. But the key is you would have avoided the major downtrends throughout the end of 2008 and the beginning of 2009. And the most major market indexes went above their 200-day average in late April and early May this year. From, from that point in time, they've had a great run.
2: Now, uh, with, one of the things that's unusual about ETFs that's not true about mutual funds is they can go short as well as long. And and beyond that, they can not only go short, but they can go double even triple short, I think, that leveraged ETFs. Tell us a little bit about how that works. Yeah,
3: it's great because the ETF providers have gotten very creative. So as you point out, first and foremost, you can actually short an ETF. So if there's an ETF out there that's long, the S&P 500, you can actually short it because it trades like a stock so if there's any etf that you see out there that's maybe had a great run you can actually short that with number one that's that's great you point out the inverse and leverage etfs and they've gotten a lot of attention lately because what they do is they provide on a daily basis uh... for example a three times inverse etf of the s p five hundred If the the S&P 500 is down 1% on that given day, this ETF will actually be up 3%. So it really exacerbates the volatility, but if used in the right way, uh, and whether it's with your financial advisor or you're using it yourself and you're watching it on a regular basis, it can really help you in hedging your portfolio or taking advantages of short-term opportunities.
2: Now there has been a lot of controversy lately that these uh, leveraged ETFs, particularly, are not tracking their indexes. That, uh, as you say, it's S&P goes down one and it goes up three. Well, in fact, it hasn't been going up three. And in many cases, it's not even close to what it's supposed to be doing. What is yeah. your view on the uh, the tracking power of these leveraged ETFs in today's world?
3: Right, and and really the issue you're bringing up is over an extended period of time. Because on that given day, if the the S&P goes down one that ETF does go up three. What happens is, for those investors that bought it and felt that the market was going to go down 30 or 40%, and if, in fact, it did go down 30 or 40%, they expected their ETF to be up 100%. But what happens is, just by the power of compounding and the fact that it resets daily, it doesn't always correlate over an extended period of time because there are individual moves that may happen on a daily basis that by that daily resetting affects the compounding over time so again more than ever it's important to understand these are great tools if they're used the right way so if they're used and monitored on a very short term basis and and you know short term i'm talking about one day one week and sometimes even 30 days but if if it's trending in the right area and you're understanding performing the way it should be great but during these periods that we've seen in the last 18 months there's been a huge amount of volatility from one week to the next that's going to affect that compounding so it's important if you are considering these don't just buy them tuck them in your portfolio and forget about them it's a, an active tool to be used and monitored regularly
2: if you have a longer term view say you're bearish on the dollar, you know, yeah. or you're bearish on treasury bonds or mm-hmm. uh you're bullish on gold or something like that. I mean, is there something wrong with with buying these funds as a long-term holding that are supposed to go the direction you think things are going to be going?
3: No, I I think it's it's fantastic. In fact, as you mentioned currencies, there's a whole slew of uh currency ETFs that are out there and as you can imagine, many of these foreign currency ETFs have done a great job. Uh it, you know, some have performed almost like equity funds in the past six months or so. You know, you've, you've got some, if you look at uh, Australian dollar, for example, or Brazilian real, uh, Mexican peso, up 40, almost 50% since March. You know, it's amazing. Also, there are some, there's a bearish ETF, ticker symbol UDN. So if you feel that the dollar is going to continue to go lower, there's an ETF that you can buy in that regard, too. And that's actually been up uh, about 18% since March.
2: So, so those are working. It's more the leveraged ones where there's the, the tracking problem over a longer period of time. Is that right?
3: Well, over a longer period of time, correct. It's not re- meant to be uh, just bought and held and forget about for six months because it's got that compounding feature and that leverage feature, especially when you get the two to three times area where uh, – if you feel it's going to correlate exactly over an extended period of time, you're going to be disappointed.
2: You have a chapter, what you call, uh, Risk and Disaster Don't Have to Go Hand in Hand. What are some general rules you would have about the amount of risk people should take and how much they're comfortable taking?
3: Yeah, and and that's a great point. You know, right now, we've got two-thirds of market capitalization in the world outside the U.S. But if you ask the average investor how much uh, foreign stock they have in their portfolio, they're going to tell you between 15 and 20% on average. So it, it, doesn't, it doesn't correlate. It doesn't make sense. I think what we're, we're trying to provide for investors is the uh, ability to think about being more diversified, especially in those areas that are showing great uptrends. And if you happen to have 50 to 60% of your stock portfolio overseas, especially if it's trending in the right direction, that's not being too aggressive, especially if you have an exit strategy in mind.
2: Very good. All right, we're going to go to our break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman with The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Tom Lydon, uh, who's got a new book called The ETF Trend Following Playbook. We'll be back after this.
0: Mic check, one, two. Big poser coming to you faking yeah. it. Yeah, got no more games since Not. I got
3: with the juice. Uh-huh. No cruising with my friends. They cut me loose. Now my coach is <laughs> hating. Hatin'. Parents keep berating. Good thing my team's still behind me saying. Hey, yo. What happened to my teammates, man? Yo. Where y'all at, man? Come on, man. I thought we were family.
0: Ugh, don't be a poser. Hear more at don'tbeanasterisk.com. Brought to you by Ad Council and the U.S. Olympic Committee.
2: of ETFtrends.com. He's come out with a new book called The ETF Trend Following Playbook. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Thanks, Jordan. You talk about why trend following can't be beat. Why is that the best way for investors uh, to pick uh, ETFs?
3: Well, in the last segment, you mentioned emotions. What happens is during tough times, investors, especially as we're getting older, just can't take the risk. So we tend to sell during the worst times. However, if you've got confidence in following the trends, knowing that at one point in time you're going to have an exit strategy, you're going to be more confident to put your serious, real money to work over an extended period of time, which means you're going to have a better chance to have this compounding work for you over an extended period. So here's the thing. If, uh, as an investor, you're following the trends and we're able to take advantage of the last... 10 20 30 years where we had great periods of time but also had the discipline to pull the ripcord and to sell when you went below the 200 day average the numbers are astounding how you did versus a buy and hold over time and and we've been able to replicate replicate that with our management program and and i think the key, key is the tools today with ETFs uh, and and really them being the the best investment option that we've seen come in the last twenty or thirty years It's so easy for investors if you want to take control of your portfolio and do it yourself you've got so many choices you've got the ease you've got the low expenses and the transparency and then with technology and the great service these brokerage services and being able to look at your portfolio online we're really set up to be able to be successful but it does require discipline and it does require getting control of your emotions.
2: Tell people what they can find at your website at ETFtrends.com, and what kind of money management services do you offer?
3: Sure. Every day we write 10 to 12 stories about ETFs, not only what's hot and what's not, but what's, what new products are coming down the pipe. We talked to a company today that's going to be introducing some palladium and platinum ETFs, just like the gold and silver and copper ETFs that are available. Uh, so there are more and more choices. Uh, also, foreign areas, uh, domestic areas, currencies, as we talked about before. Uh, usually I'm doing a, a TV spot once or twice a week, and we have those spots on our website as well. We've got a great tool called uh, the, the ETF Analyzer, where you can go in and you can sort a whole list of ETFs that are available by the 200-day average or buy their performance over one week, two week, one month, three months, six months, one year, so you can see those that are moving and those that are not. And it'll also show you how every ETF is performing in relationship to its current 200-day average. And this is all free. We don't charge anything for this. And in addition, if you want to sign up for our daily free email, we'll give you the summary of the best performing stories of the day. And many people like doing that too.
2: And how do you manage money using ETFs?
3: So we manage money. Uh, we custody at Charles Schwab. Our minimums minimum sorry, $500,000. We use mostly ETFs. We understand that some people have specific stocks or mutual funds that they've had for an extended period of time. We understand that some people want a certain amount of fixed income and, and direct their income to their accounts on a regular basis. But most importantly, the lion's share of our discipline is this trend-following system that we talk about in a lot of detail in uh, the ETF trend-following playbook?
2: You talk about uh, certain resolutions that people should have uh, so they don't get kind of scared out of things. What are those uh, resolutions?
3: Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that we can promote is it gets it gets back to the emotions. Don't fall in love with a, a specific holding in your portfolio. Understand that anything that you buy can be sold at one point in time because even if you know the company like the back of your hand or it happens to be your favorite product, it doesn't mean that it's always going to be moving up. So again, in putting a two hundred day average on anything that you own, it's gonna help you to protect yourself once that turns south.
2: Uh let's talk a little bit more about picking ETS. As you said there's six hundred and fifty and more coming right. out all the time. It's kind of overwhelming for people uh, to choose through all these, What are some of the things people should look for in uh, picking which ETF to invest in?
3: First, we'd like to buy ETFs that have at least $50 million in assets. Again, understanding liquidity is important, and, and most ETFs, even the ones that are coming out, because they're diversified and very tradable securities, liquidity is not an issue, but you like to see something that's around for a little bit. We're agnostic as far as what ETF provider we use or we recommend. So some of the big ones like Vanguard and iShares at Barclays and and, uh, PowerShares, Uh, obviously those are some that we use, but also there are new ETF providers that are coming that provide uh, excellent asset classes as well. So what we want to do is we want to look at uh, the market. We want to look at the trends. A great indicator is what are the best-performing ETFs off of the March 9th low? if you went back and you looked and saw what performed best off the low and what went above its average, 200-day average, before the rest, it tends to be that those that move the best off the low move the best during that trend. And that was exactly the case this year. So areas like emerging markets, like technology, uh, like uh, commodity ETFs, tended to be the best-performing ETFs in March and April, but also have been the best-performing ETFs for the past six or eight months.
2: You have some websites, um, in addition to your own, uh, where people can analyze ETFs. What are some of your favorites?
3: Yeah, Morningstar does a great job. Uh, they they really provide some in-depth research. Uh, they also have some tools that are halfway decent as well. Um, Barclay's site, iShares, does an excellent job. and They've done... A responsible thing, and not just including their ETFs and the analytical capabilities, but also ETFs of other providers too. Uh, There are are some good, you know, street dot com have some excellent stories. Uh, They they really, as as you see, there are more and more stories out there that are ETF related because ETFs represent pretty much all asset classes that are out there. So again as investors are tuned into CNBC or CNN, and they happen to see, oh, today's gold is moving, and I don't have any gold in my portfolio, what should I do? Well, there are a lot of choices. It, for example, it's not just buying GLD, which represents the price of gold, but maybe you could buy the miners, and there are multiple miner ETFs. And there's some that actually have futures in gold. So it's important to understand all the choices in some sites like ours, do a good job, we feel, in trying to educate investors, but also give them um, clear choices in what might be best for them.
2: And there are some that are more obscure, I guess you might say, one you call Seeking Alpha, another one called Green Faucet. What what do you find at those places you're not going to get?
3: Seeking Alpha um, and Green Faucet do a great job of general market coverage. Uh, Seeking Alpha has actually 3,000 contributors writers, financial advisors, Wall Street specialists that provide content. It's not all ETF-related, but they cover all areas of the market. Um, same with Green Faucet. A lot of good seasoned investors and uh, uh, people who have experience providing market commentary. Uh, we like them. We contribute to both of them. And we find that with the Internet today, it's not just your standard media. There are a lot of people who are very smart and do a lot of hard work and now can have a voice through outlets like these.
2: You talk in several more chapters here about the specific kinds of ETFs you can get into. I'm particularly interested in, uh, you have a chapter on gold and crude, as you call it. Um, With the dollar falling, with gold and oil moving up, what are some of the uh, specific ETFs that you would like to play the kind of rise in commodity
3: prices? Yeah, well, as I mentioned, GLD, which is the granddaddy of gold ETFs, it's got oh, I, I think close to thirty billion in there. But uh, one of the uh, favorite gold miner ETFs is ticker symbol GDX George Donald X Ray, which focuses on some of the best miners. There's a um, uh, an ETF US Oil which represents the price of crude, and the ticker is USO. Um, there's also a similar one. OIL, which represents the price of crude, also, but with with oil being now you know seventy eight to eighty dollars a barrel, some of these uh, energy companies and exploration companies are also very profitable. So a couple oil and exploration exploration ETFs are uh, ticker symbols IEO and IEZ, both in the exploration, and equipment area. So you can kind of play it both ways. You can play the commodity itself or those that manufacture or pull this commodity out of the ground. And again, with gold and, and oil and all commodities at these levels, it's very profitable for these companies.
2: How about uh, something that's not oil or gold but other kinds of commodity? What ETS would you like there?
3: Yeah, uh, Steel is going through the roof. Uh, with production... Very, very strong in emerging market countries. Steel's in great demand. So there's a ticker ticker symbol S, L as in Larry, X as in X-Ray, is the steel ETF. Uh, you know, we, we think that's outstanding. One ETF that we own uh, for our clients is the basic materials ETF, which has kind of a cross-section of metals, uh, and it's ticker symbol IYM. So, again, for full disclosure, we own that for our clients.
2: So is this an area you think is still to get... I mean, they've had big moves. You still think there's more potential in those areas?
3: I think that we're going to continue to see um, the threat of inflation down the road. With the dollar so low right now, at one point in time, uh, we're going to have to see higher interest rates. And when we do, uh, I, I think we're going to see gold and commodity prices increase. And there, there is so much liquidity in this area that... An interest that wasn't there five years ago. So, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, but I think uh, we may see oil go up to the levels that we saw, uh, you know, last year. And, and it was scary to have such a huge run, but uh, that may happen again. We're in a situation where um, commodities, because of global, global growth, are in demand. And in emerging markets areas where you've got hundreds of millions of citizens in these countries that are moving up to the middle class, when they spend money, it's, they're going to reach out and buy a cell phone, but they also might buy a gold necklace as well.
2: Okay, so, We're going go to go to a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman with The Money Answer Show. My guest is Tom Lydon, who's got a new book out called The ETF Trend Following Playbook. We'll be back after this. He's got a new book come, just come out called The ETF Trend Following Playbook. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Thanks, Jordan. One area we have not spoken about is uh, fixed income. Uh, what are some of the ETFs available in the bond market, and uh, what are some things you like there?
3: Well, again, the ETF providers have done a great job. They've got everything from short-term treasuries all the way up to corporate and junk bond ETFs, even emerging market bond ETFs. So you've got all the normal fixed income choices now in ETFs. So the idea though, and, and as we as we look at fixed income uh, products, the same things apply as they do to conventional mutual funds, is you're not buying a bond and you're holding it to maturity. So if we're in a situation where rates are declining, that's great, you could actually have some appreciation in addition to the income that you receive in these ETFs. However, at one point in time, we're going to start seeing rising interest rates, and that may happen sometime next year. So you could be in a situation where you're enjoying the income but actually declining in principal. So more than ever, uh, fixed-income ETFs work very, very well with the 200-day moving average. And one ETF that we like and we actually own for our clients as well is uh, an investment-grade corporate bond ETF, ticker symbol, L as in Larry, Q as in Queen, D as in Donald. And uh, that has a yield of almost 6%, and it's been up 3% so far year-to-date. And, uh, again, from a corporate bond standpoint, as many corporations are, rather than going to banks or have the ability to go to banks, they're just issuing more and more corporate bonds and doing quite well with that. The the uh, attitude right now is, why, not, why go to the bank when I can actually have investors invest and they're willing to pay the yield for it? And they seem to be holding up very well.
2: Probably the hottest area this year uh, have been the high-yield of junk bond ETFs. What kind of yield can you get on those today, and do you think that's still a good place to be now?
3: Yeah, you know, again, as, as you go uh, up the curve a little bit, it gets more and more risky. So there's a, a high-yield corporate bond, a ticker symbol hyg which you can get over uh, over six percent and that again it's up 40 percent off the lows in um, in March of this year it's had a pretty good run but lately you know you kind of have to watch after an area like this has had such a huge run is that something where I want to go into I'm concerned as you're concerned, uh, as older Americans are looking for a higher yield as we're at, at this period where we're, we're at historic lows and people have seen depreciation in their in their investment portfolios, that people get too aggressive chasing yields. So, again, short-term, the yield is there. What's most important is making sure that if we do see any hints of high, higher interest rates, that when you go below the 200-day average that you sell,
2: and how about uh, tax-free uh, ETFs, municipal bonds? What kind there of are,
3: There are some national municipal bond ETFs. I I would say that one of the areas that we're going to see more populated down the road, as ETFs become more popular, is uh, state-only municipal bond ETFs. There's surely an appetite for it, as uh, bond ETFs in general have had a lot more um, attention and a lot more product in the last couple years, I think we're going to see that. In addition, when uh, PIMCO got into the ETF space just in the last 12 months, uh, that was a nice boost in the arm for the ETF market. Charles Schwab's going to be entering very shortly and offering their own ETFs. So as you have bigger brand names that service more investors and more advisors across the country, I I think we're going to see more and more fixed income choices in the ETF arena.
2: You talk about uh, ETFs and options. Uh, so it is possible to buy put-and-call options on ETFs. Is that an advisable thing to do?
3: Um, I, I'm not sophisticated enough to do that for my clients, nor do I think that they'd want that. Uh, however, for those that are day traders and understand the benefits and the risks of options, great. Uh, there's not as a, a ton of risk in options on ETFs because... You've got such diversification and such liquidity in those ETFs that do provide options trading, but a lot of them, are, a lot of people are making a big business of it today. And you surely can, rather than going in and, and buying an index with futures, you can go in and buy the options and and of those underlying ETFs. So it, it again, it makes sense for those that are doing more short-term trading. For our style, using a 200-day average where we may have one or two round trips a year, it doesn't make sense.
2: But it does give you more leverage uh, in playing either the upside or the downside, if that's what you're looking for. It,
3: it sure does, absolutely. Well, there's no question, and your key word there is leverage. There's more leverage than ever and more uh, opportunity than ever that ETFs bring to the marketplace.
2: Is the government concerned, the SEC and so on, concerned that – uh, ETFs are kind of getting out of control, particularly these leveraged ETFs where people are not getting the results they expect. Is, is there some regulatory concern going on here?
3: Both the SEC and FINRA have, have come out with statements. And and I, I think, from what I've read, is the concern has been addressed and it's over with. I think, I think everybody's moving on because it really was an education issue regarding inverse and leveraged ETFs, but now... Uh, I think as an investor, if you've been investing in ETFs and if you haven't heard these things, you've had your, your head in the sand. Investors, and, and they, they, they're more popular than ever, are using them, but they understand that you need to watch them on a daily or a short-term basis. So the SEC is not going to squelch inverse and leverage ETFs, but they, too, are, are putting out their so-called warning label that you have to be careful when you use these things. But, you know, as I say, Q-tips come with a warning label, too, but millions of people use them every year.
2: (laughs) Yes, indeed. Are ETFs being created around the world, not just the United States as well?
3: Absolutely. They're hugely popular in Europe. It's amazing. Uh, There's actually more ETFs available outside the U.S. than inside the U.S. So the great thing is some of the ETF providers overseas, for example, one company in London, ETF Securities, now has their own etfs here in the states so etfs really are a global investment vehicle the benefits are, are clearly there both here and overseas and i'd love to see uh, more of the etfs that are available in overseas markets available on our exchanges and i think we'll see that coming down the road
2: well about a minute we have left to go tom why don't you just kind of briefly sum up why people should uh, take a look at etfs as opposed to what they're used to uh, mutual funds
3: Sure, I think first and foremost, we know the benefits of they're diversified. You have a lot of different choices of ETFs, but within those ETFs, you, they represent an underlying index of a diversified group of stocks. The expense ratios are just a fraction of what actively managed mutual funds are, and you can buy them and sell them interday like a stock as opposed to getting one closing price at the end of the day. And then finally, it's, there's inherent tax advantage that actively managed mutual funds don't have. There's very few distributions, if any. And with all the choices today and with investors a little frustrated with the market in the last 10 years, we're seeing many self-directed investors taking their portfolios back in their own hands and using ETFs moving forward.
2: Well, thanks so much, Tom. It's been fascinating. Uh, Again, your book is called The ETF Trend Following Playbook. Your website is ETFtrends.com. And if you want to learn about this fascinating new world that's growing very very <laughs> rapidly, uh, take a look at uh, Tom's book. So thanks again for being a guest on the Money Answer Show, Tom.
3: Thanks, Jordan. I appreciate it. Had fun.
2: Thanks again, and we'll be back again next week. Bye-bye.